The Weekly Dish podcast is brought to you by Lakewinds Co-op in Minnetonka, Chanhassen, and Richfield with delivery from Instacart. There's no membership required to shop at Lakewinds. All are welcome. Check out lakewinds.com, and if you can't make it to a Lakewinds, please visit your local food co-op in the neighborhood near you. I know many of you are trying to support local Minnesota companies. I am too. And often we forget about the farmers, farmers who sell to schools, colleges, and restaurants. They're really hurting right now. So how can you help? You can seek out locally grown vegetables, meat, dairy, and eggs when you shop. Embrace what's in season throughout the summer. Food that's freshly picked is obviously more nutritious, but it's also delicious. And locally grown food has a shorter distance to travel to get to you. So it's got a smaller carbon footprint. A bunch of my friends have joined CSAs, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture, where you buy a share of what a farmer grows for the season. By purchasing a share, you help the farmer cover their operating expenses while giving you an opportunity to eat fresh, nutritious, locally grown food. And CSA aren't just for fruits and vegetables. They've got them for farm fresh eggs, meat, dairies, flowers, even baked goods. And you can also shop some of these farms direct and get things like meat shares or produce boxes. But if you're really looking for local foods, you can always, of course, find them at Lakewinds Co-op. They're stocked to the gills with Minnesota-grown foods, and if you can't make it to Lakewinds or another co-op, consider shopping at your farmer's market or any of the place where you find local produce, meats, eggs, and dairy. Lakewinds Food Co-op is in Minnetonka, Chanhassen, and Richfield, and they also deliver from Instacart. You can find them at lakewinds.com. Now I'm on with the My Talk Chicks, and we will eat on, eat on the weekly Welcome to the Weekly Dish. I'm Stephanie Hansen. And I'm Stephanie Mark. And here we are on another glorious Saturday. I woke up and I was feeling somewhat cheerful today, which I'll be honest, I haven't felt cheerful in about four days. Right. I've been having my own little personal struggles. Yeah, a little party party. A pity, yeah. Not a pity party. I don't want to call it a pity party, but. Just a real party. A real, and just like, oh, it's here a we are party. again. Right. Um, there I am again. <laughs> same. <laughs> Bleep different day. That's right. It's Tuesday. It's um, always Tuesday, everybody. Yeah, but I woke up today feeling a little optimistic about just that I could function. <laughs> a <laughs> personal thought, moment of optimism. I wonder why that is. Yeah. And then I realized, because I get to go to work, because mm-hmm. I get to do something that's normal, and I get to see hope and stuff, and... Um, and chill, and just sort of have a moment where we talk about food and and restaurants and eating and things like that and all the fun stuff. Right? Uh, do you think? I think we would be remiss maybe if we didn't acknowledge that it was a hard day at my talk yesterday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our coworkers were let go in a uh, asset reduction strategy that they're employing across Hubbard Broadcasting to try to. Make sure that we can come out of this when the time is right. And um, Donnie Love, who'd been with us for 20 years, and Ryan Perpich, and Paul Black, and some Mm -hmm. behind-the-scenes folks that maybe you guys wouldn't know about that aren't front-facing. What's been a little unfortunate to me is when bad things happen like this, the Facebook goes crazy, the trolls come out, people get mean. Well, people... People 
have emotions and that everyone has a lot of emotions right now, I think specifically, and they feel very yeah. bottled up. And I think that people tend to have reactions and then they, they don't know what to do with them. And they, so they just flare. And so I'm hoping that those things are just flares. Yeah. And I just want you guys to know, cause I think we've been on the air a long time here. 172 years together <laughs> is what it feels like. But I think if I say you can trust us, I think that you do. Yeah. And I just need you to hear that none of those decisions were taken lightly. The people that were impacted were taken care of as best as could be. And, you know, advertising revenues are significantly down across the board, not just at Hubbard Broadcasting, but at TV stations, at Stephanie's Magazine, at the newspaper. And to have some fiduciary responsibility about this company's future, hard decisions need to be made. And I know that nobody went into those decisions lightly. No. And in fact, I would roll this into the bachelor farmer situation because this is actually an interesting thing where I think there's a lot of people who across the Metro have been feeling their own pinch, right? Maybe it's a 20% reduction. Maybe it's like furloughed for one day a week. Maybe it's more than that for companies across the board, not just media, not definitely not just restaurants, but the idea that, you know, I think, you know, the news broke, of course, that The Bachelor Farmer and Marvel Bar will not be reopening. And a lot of people, you know, thought a lot of people the same thing. It's like this shock and then it's this sadness and then it's kind of goes into anger before it gets to grief, you know, and the anger comes with, well, this is a bunch of rich guys who own these buildings and there's all of this like, you know, capital involved. It was a successful restaurant. Why couldn't you stay open? Why couldn't you keep your workers and all this kind of stuff? And I think that the idea is that I think all of us have to remember, you know, these emotions and reactions aside, there's big picture thinking going on behind the scenes when you consider the next year. And that's what these companies, I think, are trying to do is to say, okay, well, we know we're in for a long haul. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And to be able to be responsible to whatever businesses we have or whatever savings and whatever, you know, actions that we can affect going down the road, we have to think about that. And restaurants, you know, especially for The Bachelor Farmer, it was a thing where it's like, you know, they weren't fine dining is not going to come back very easily Right. right now. And. Their their money, you know, they couldn't. It's not like they could just go, "Hey, let's do foraged foods as a takeout option." You know, it's yeah. not it's not easy like that. Marvel had nothing on, no way of opening, no way of making any money, no food service, no food service, and then you have their, you know, their event space, which is what a huge piece of what their capital was, and out of town travelers, which was another piece of their, you know, their yep. their mix. So when you think about that, it actually makes more sense to say if they're looking at a year before everything is like actually back to any sort of normal, then they're like, we're not going to make it. There's no point of being at half capacity. We won't be able to actually have our employees anyway. There's a lot of comments too about like, well, why don't people just furlough the workers? Why are they, um, you know, telling them that they're, they're being eliminated? Well, there's some semantics to that, but then they can apply for unemployment, right? If you're furloughed, I don't know. You still can when you're furloughed. And do you still like something about benefits? Like, yeah. I know there's a difference between the two, um, but I, I would agree with you. We're looking at a long haul. Whatever this is, whether we open up and it's less capacity, whether we don't open up or we slowly open up, all of those scenarios are very real for business owners. Mm-hmm. And successful business owners get successful because they make decisions quickly and they understand their capital, they understand their PL. And it's, there's going to be fallout. There's going to be tragedies. 
Yeah. There just is. And there is, it's happening all over America, people. It isn't just Hubbard Broadcasting. It isn't just the restaurants. I, I mean, our producer lost her job. My sister lost her job. Like a lot of people are losing their jobs. It's a tough time. I know. And I think, but that's also why I think people react is because it's in solidarity, you know? And yeah. so then they, so then they see Donnie and they feel, you know, fat, they feel like that same pain that they're feeling right now. They feel for him. And, and, and I get it. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, I understand that as a public figure, you know, we sort of, we are, a flashpoint, yep. you know, and I feel like someone, if they get mad and yell at at us, then, you know, maybe they're not yelling at their kid. I don't know. Okay. That, that's well, how I do you, it. Please yell at Stephanie March. Don't <laughs> yell at me. I don't feel that way. I might yell back as a matter of fact. <laughs> this is true. You. <laughs> there have been times right. on the Facebooks where I'll tell you where to go. So well, if you've noticed, I've been blocking people more than that's also a thing. So I just think that that's the deal. But I'm trying to be careful, but sometimes I lose it too. Um, in any case, we do have a, a good show coming up today. Stephanie, I yeah. did something last week. After the show, I drove to my Ely cabin. Yep, you went up north. I were in the woods, pretty far in the woods. So yeah. we pack up our groceries, we get in our car so that we don't go into the town, we don't see our neighbors. We just I had to get there because I had to clear it yep. so that we can start getting ready to plant. Mm-hmm. So I got the garden pretty much ready to go. I have some more. As soon as I turn the soil, a million rocks come up. I don't know why there's so many rocks in our soil, but I think it was from like we dug out a garage. So it's not like it's good garden soil. It's driveway. Yeah, They have totally (laughs) built like (laughs) I have a garden built out of driveway. So I'm in there, you know, hauling out the rocks. Trying to have foundation areas, which doesn't have a lot of like water porousness. That's right. Interesting. (laughs) That's what my garden started as. Well done. So got it kind of raked out, peeling out the rocks. Yeah. My little tomatoes that I started from seeds, I have transplanted into bigger containers. So many of you will be getting tomatoes. It's strange that you're so far ahead up there. You know what I mean? You're ahead of the game and you're way north. Are you saying there's still ice on the lake? There is. And you're planted. Well, because it's going to be like 50, 40, you know, the lowest is like 40, Unless there's like some weird freeze, which there still could be. That's but, true. you know, I planted spinach. I planted arugula. I planted some cold beans. So, you know, if they don't come up, it'll be fine. But I figured it was time to get started, at least on the cold crops. Hmm. I won't. My tomatoes and stuff are at home in my house <laughs> in St. Paul. Okay. And I've transplanted them now. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to get some good tomatoes, I think. I'm feeling good about it. You're feeling I feel good about it every year. And then every year, right around... July and August, I get real sad. I know. I just, I, but I'm never going to not try. Here's the deal. I will always plant tomatoes for, because I remember like one year, like back at the old house when I had like a bumper crop and it was like a perfect summer of just sitting there and eating tomatoes. That's worth the memory right there. I mean, it's like I'm shooting the moon every time for that one day, that one moment. I did research that you're, I thought maybe we should be planting them in a different place, Mm -hmm. but as long as you're putting, um, Stuff back into the soil. You can plant them in the same place. They actually like to be in the same place. That's what I heard too. Unless you have disease, then you should clear right. it out. I think my beds are my my walk through my garden beds with my mom and I. We were. I think mine are kind of because I'm down by the swamp, so they, which is great because they're always moist. I almost never have to water. Oh, that is nice. because the ground water. But it might be too wet. It so for some of it, it's too wet, and then the other side of it is is that there's just so much 
swamp weed. You know what I mean? Like I have to fight the reeds, like the actual, you know, cattails from coming in and growing in the middle of your thing. And they grow overnight. It's like, boom, there it is. All of a sudden there's a cattail in the middle of your tomatoes. Try putting down that um, black paper stuff and you tack it down because that keeps the weeds out and it keeps the tomatoes warm and it keeps the water off the leaves. Well, I think there's, I think that there's so much in that soil that comes up and I have to go today. I'm going to go fight it. I'm going to go see what I can do, but I'm going to have to dig out a bunch and then put topsoil on top to kind of, you know, make it better. But I'm just trying to decide, you know, I will tell you guys this. Giant Baby is back at the garden store. <laughs> oh. So he's working at the Otten Brothers. If you need a little bit of mulch, Giant Baby is there uh, to help you with your mulch. And he's gotten to the point where now he's all of a sudden looking at things. We're taking our walk in our neighborhood. And he's like, oh, yeah, look at They've used some mink mulch over there. You know, <laughs> he's got he's got like, uh, you know, and he's measuring things like, oh, they could use another cubic t- you know, yard. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's funny. It's really funny. But so he'll be in the uh, in the Otten Brothers yard on Sunday if you want to go say hi. Okay. We're going to take a break, but we've got some dumpling talk. We've got a drive-in we're going to tell you about. Some fun things, finally. Yeah. And we're going to talk to our friend, The Forager. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Weekly Dish on My Talk 1071. Hey, everybody. It's Steph March for Common Ground, Minnesota. And I just want to tell you how glad I am that we have a resource for farmers and food and agriculture in Minnesota. We are so lucky. It's one of the biggest things that our state is known for. And sometimes I feel like we don't get a chance to actually talk to farmers and find out what they're doing. And Common Ground, Minnesota is a, is, is a place on Facebook where you can ask questions about how your food is grown right here from local farmers. These are women who are volunteering their time to answer your questions and to engage in conversations. Plus, they'll show you cute farm pictures of their dogs. I mean, what's better than that? And they post recipes. What could be better than that? Common Ground Minnesota is a resource for you guys, and it's all volunteer-led. And I just encourage everybody, if you're curious about your food and where it comes from and the farming that is going on in Minnesota, you want to get to Common Ground Minnesota on Facebook. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Weekly Dish. Thanks for joining us on this gorgeous Saturday. It's going to be a top day for being in your yard, yo. It is going to be a top day. I noticed that you mentioned something about your neighbor the other day. It's funny how you can be socially distant, but still be meeting neighbors and like people are nicer and chattier. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that 100%. These neighbors across the street that have lived there for we've lived at our place three years. They've been there five years, as it turns out. They were like, yeah. They have a huge uh, patio up on the top of their building. And they were like, yeah, we're thinking about like when the stay at home order ends that we could still like have people over for like a socially distant happy hour because the porch is huge. You should come over. I was like, oh, okay, Meeting neighbors. That's fun. Yeah. No, I think it is. You know, I mean, like if you're not out and about and you're in your space and you're all in your own spaces. And if you're out because so many people are out walking and stuff. I live like smack dab in the city. right? Like I am right by the Capitol. So if I'm sitting out on my porch, a million people are walking by me. I mean, and everyone's saying hello and talking to me about their dogs and my garden. And And is that what you want? I mean, like it wasn't what I wanted, but it is what it is. And some days I'm like, oh, it feels good to see a person. No, it's true. Yeah. And I mean, out in the boondocks, you know, we have people are out walking, you know, people are walking around and I'm sitting on my, you know, I go for a run and then I sit on the driveway and I do the stretches and everybody's beeping in the cars (laughs) as they run by and, you know, whatever. So I think it's good. I do think it's good. I think. And, you know, my neighbors are 
um, we talk to each other from distances because they're all over, you know, a certain age. So, so Spain people have been in lockdown for like six weeks. They finally got to go out and run and bike. Yeah. And they have special hours that adults can do it and different hours where kids can do it. Different hours for seniors. It's just very interesting that, you know, as much as I'm complaining, like I've still been able to get outside and right. walk and ride my bike. And yeah, think of this. You were your kids in Spain were only allowed to be out during this for like an hour a day. Yep. Like think about that, people, <laughs> when you're feeling cooped up with your children. Think about that. Um, hey, I wanted to talk about a couple things. Uh, just continue our restaurant world chit chatter. Um uh, because I did want to talk about the prior like test case, and I want to get your opinion yeah, on that. I just read your article on it. Yeah, but before we get there, I do want to talk of there's something else that's kind of happening, and it's happening like kind of as we speak, and I it's really interesting to me. Um, and you know, it started with I put this on the grid because earlier this week I read about this restaurant in Chicago called Fat Rice, and I'd been there last year during the James Beard Awards, which was last year this time. Um, and we uh, and it's this it was this great little sort of very funky Asian place. And they uh, they were just great. And, and I, they said that we're not coming back as a restaurant ever. And they decided that they are going to instead pivot completely and utterly totally for the for the long haul as they're going to continue to offer takeout meal kits. Meal kits seem to be the way that people are translating this. And then they're going to do they're turning themselves into kind of a corner grocery store and they're offering uh, you know, provisions is how we're going to call it. And so they've got local things. They've also importing things from, you know, Asia that are, you know, maybe not finding as many ho- homes anymore. And they're supporting local farmers. And I thought that's an interesting way for a restaurant to turn. And then I realized that Travail is doing it. Mm-hmm. So Travail has uh, turned themselves and not fully. I mean, like they haven't said this is only what we're going to be. But during this time, they have really stepped up to help uh, the local farmers and they are partnering with their local farmers who they were going to use, you know, to, to put out their fine dining meals. But now they're offering what they're calling travail marketplace. And I think it's really smart because they're taking, they're still taking the, the product, the raw product, but then they're, they're still applying their chefy hands to it. They're just not making it into a meal. They're just kind of, you know, and you got to think of it as that's going to be a low labor cost, but they're packaging up like different cuts of protein and different cuts of meat for you to buy. They're making sauces. They're making stock. They're, you know, completely taking produce and maybe, you know, putting together meal kits, but also sort of just, they're kind of treating it. You know what I mean? I'm yes. What do you think about that? Well, because we're seeing a lot of that with like, Red Cow's doing some of that. Uh, Iron Shoe Farms, which is a farm, but they're per- selling other farmers' goods. We're seeing more pantry things. I, I like it. I want there to be both, though. I want you to still do takeout, and then I'll buy other things while I'm there. Yeah. Buying, like, wine and beer at curbside pickup has been great, has actually. It? Have you done that? I haven't done yeah. it yet. because I, I have- do it every time I order, and I order takeout, like, once or twice a week. And I always add a bottle of wine, and I add some beer. A, I want to support the restaurants, but B, it's one less stop I'd have to make down the road. So if you want to throw in like a meal kit or some noodles or some tiger sauce, like, yeah, I'd buy all that stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that they do a meal kit. I mean, like, they've got, like, a bison burger kit here. So it's, like, 46 bucks. You can buy this kit that makes six burgers. And it's the ground, you know, they've ground bison, beef chuck, and aged ribeye together. So, like, that's the thing that I need. Like, I can't grind multiple things and make a good burger, but I know that, that that's going to be a good meat blend. And then they've got, you know, butter, and they've got the buns and all of this stuff to go with it. And so I love the idea of that. And then having, um, but then you can also just buy, um, like you can buy pickled ramps, you guys. You can buy, which are sold out this week. <laughs> you can buy icebox pickles, fresh ricotta. You can buy, you know, chocolate chip cookie dough from them. You know, all this stuff. But then, of course, these rack of lamb, you know, duck breasts. They've got, they've got king crab. For See, God's I want to do both. I want to get my but, takeout burgers. Yeah. And then I want to prepare or plan ahead for the next day right. or like pick up the, your ribs yeah. or whatever you have so that I'm getting two meals kind of going versus one. And they do have, uh, you know, the travail guys do have family meal available. too, yeah. So you can do that. And you can obviously go to, you know, you and can- if I'm coming to your place to pick up whatever the pickup is, the curbside. Yeah. Yeah. Sell me other stuff. I don't care. Yeah. I It's one less trip I have to make. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I think it's a great. And so same thing with Manello. Manello, who has just come online yesterday, I believe, you know, they've kind of they are another place who Manello was fine dining Italian. Right. But to be fair, they'd already started to pivot to this more casual thing early because they had been doing Mama de Campos on Sunday nights. And yep. so they were kind of packaging it as a little bit like, you know, here's some red sauce. Here's some fun stuff. Well, that's what they're selling. Meatball sandwiches and, you know, bucatini and, you know, torcio carbonara. Transfer as well. Yeah. And so, but they're also selling, you can buy a pound of pasta there and you can buy like a big jar of red sauce. And I think that maybe this is a really cool idea. I, I mean, I'm... You know, I'm not, I kind of like this idea. If we're socially distancing and if we're trying to minimize the amount of trips out of the house or the times we're in social spaces, it makes total sense to me to add whatever you want to throw in my cart at the grocery or at the pickup. We do the reverse at grocery. Yeah. We buy the the produce and we buy the stuff, but then we'd also buy a deli salad or a salad bar. So it's just... Yeah, it's just re sort of focusing yes. and re. That's what I love about the creativity. That's what I. But these guys too. Like I, I want these guys to be the ones to making this a bucket of sauce. Like I want that, you know. Yeah, and so, versus buying it maybe somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, and so and actually yesterday when we did the, um, you know, I mean I have like, you know, sauce from the my Wiker Acres, you know, meat share because they're also, you know, they're not just giving you sausages and cuts of bacon. They're also putting in like, hey, we made this rutabaga soup and we also made this sauce to go with it. So I'm kind of in love with that idea. And now we didn't get to talk about prior like, but we, we will. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about prior like. We're gonna talk to Alan Burgo when we come back. Oh, okay. So then we'll, we're gonna talk about prior yeah. like. So we'll be right back, you guys. Stay tuned. This is Weekly Dish. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Weekly Dish. Guess what? Did you know? I don't know if you knew, but it is foraging season. (laughs) Maybe you've seen everybody tromping through the woods or posting pictures of their beautiful ramps everywhere. Um, But, you know, we kind of thought, like, as soon as everybody, as soon as the weather got nice, we knew that people would start foraging, right? So we thought we'd better get our professional on the line, Mr. Alan Burgo. Are you here, Alan? Can you hear me all right? Oh, we can hear you. Are you out in the woods right now, nestled up to some ramps? I am not, but I was a, a little while ago. Alan, I watched your fermented ramp uh, video with you and Pilar. It was very sweet. I was like, oh, look at all the fermenting he's doing. 
Yeah, it's a, that's actually a, a Siberian wild onion delicacy they make with a cousin of ramps called Allium victorialis, uh, kind of like a giant ramp that grows uh, over in the cold cold places in Eastern Europe. But you can plant you could plant it here. It would like our our climate, but it's the smell is so strong it's almost weaponized. <laughs> And that is, okay, I just have to tell one little quick story of the ramp situation because, uh, you know, I go walking through these woods and uh, I happened to be walking and this woman was standing over just, you know, and I don't know what they were, but they weren't ramps. And she just goes, she was leaning over them smelling like really hard. And she's like, I don't know, is it oniony? I don't know. She was all traumatized because <laughs> she didn't want to pull it up if it didn't have the onion smell, but she couldn't tell. She's like, can you come over here and smell this? I'm like, no, no, I can't. <laughs> But it's so funny, Alan, because foraging, of course, you've been the forager chef forever, for the longest time. You're working on a book. You've got so many great things in the works, and we're going to talk about that. But do you think that foraging right now seems to be something that people are cleaving to? Uh, I mean, I can tell you there's disruptions. I mean, we all know there's disruptions in our food system, in our supply chains, and, I mean, just strictly from, like, a, a practical standpoint, uh, I like food that's free. And I, I don't have to wear a mask uh, <laughs> when I go get my, my fresh greens. Right. Right. It's and very so true. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what you guys are working on because you've got some cool stuff in the mix. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of like, like everyone else, when the virus hit, my whole year just kind of got torched. Yeah. So I was sitting there thinking, you know, what now? And I started putting my head together with uh, my partner on the project, uh, Jesse Riesler, who he won the, uh, the James Beard Award for his documentary, The Starfish Throwers, a few years ago. And that's actually free to stream on his website right now. That's credononfiction.com. But we started talking about, like, hey, we're we're artists here. What, what now? Yeah. Like, what what do we do? You know, and and being independent contractors too. This is it's a daunting thing to look at a year with with nothing. But once we started talking, we we saw hey, there is a huge, huge. We have like an unprecedented unprecedented appetite for things to watch. Yes. But we also can't safely produce. A lot of things. Uh, I mean, you know, as far as like the, the producing world. So what he and I came up with is a two-man team for producing this show that we're working on. We're planning on releasing an episode a month, and we'll wear masks. We're at it, basically filming most of this stuff at an abandoned farm, uh, right connected to my girlfriend's farm. So it's totally isolated, and we're able to produce it with, with just two people. So it's one of the only like safely producible things that uh, we think can happen right now. And basically it's a show about, you know, kind of what I do, researching indigenous Midwestern ingredients, things kind of off the beaten path, wild food. But it's got a, it, there's, a, there's a message too, you know, especially in the first episode. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see that yet. Uh, you know, there's so much. I mean, we're just surrounded by like, heartbreak i mean restaurants closing all kinds of, of frustration going on but the real undercurrent of the first episode is spring you know like right. rebirth 
and kind of it was a great reminder for me one of the things i wanted to put across is that you know whatever happens in the world in nature will always kind of restore balance and this too shall pass right you know right we have so this is so the episode is called the wild harvest and you have yes. uh, episode one is called Early Spring, and we're gonna put a we'll put it up on our our Facebook page so people can watch it. It's just ten minutes, right? But it is ten. Even go- less. It's like ten gorgeous minutes of green and love. <laughs> I mean, like if you guys need like a moment of escape from all of this, and you need to sort of be reminded about the natural world and how it goes on, you know, it's like you talk about watercress and nettle and you know all the good things that are kind of happening. So. Um, I, it's just, it's just such a gorgeousness and I, the, he's such a, I mean, he's an amazing, or Jesse is just an amazing photographer. Yeah. And I mean, to also take into account that it's a, that's a, that was made with two people. Yeah. You know, it's just incredible. I thought it. Are we, are we, Alan, have you started to see, or are we getting close to morel season? So I saw a few Gyrometra corfii yesterday, which are one of kind of the the harbingers of the spring mushroom season. So some people call them like false morels, uh, which is kind of a misleading name because they are actually eaten widely across the world, especially in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, as a food fungus for a very, very long time. Uh, Basically what that means is you will probably see small morels in really warm spots, right now, especially in the southern portion of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a week, a week and a half, you're going to start seeing some of the more, uh, they're going to spread up to other areas, and they, they will be here, you know, basically right on time. Okay. Yeah, that's great. What about, okay, let's talk about some things that people who are beginning foragers, maybe, what, you know, do you have any tips and tricks for them? Yeah, you know, a great, a great way to start out is if you have a garden, there's lots of, things that are kind of um, in, be- in the in-between world, like edible ornamentals are some of my favorite things. And there can be some crossover there, too. Like ostrich ferns would love to be in a little shady spot of your yard. Oh. Or you can, if you see ramps with roots attached in a co-op, you can buy them and plant them in a shady spot in your yard and make your own little colony, and then they'll tell you when all the other ones are ready. Uh, hostas are another really good one. You can eat those? You can eat hosta? You can eat eat every single species of hosta, and in Japan they grow wild, and they're referred to as sansai, which is kind of a collective colloquial name for a bunch of wild plants they harvest uh, that basically translates to mountain vegetables. What? What would you, how would you eat them? Would you make like oh, a... Oh, the hostas are delicious and they're just perfect right now. So you want them tight. They're basically like if you took lettuce and crossed it with asparagus, it's like tightly coiled lettuce in a shoot form. Oh and my God. you just go and cut them. And here's the even better part. If you cut them, they're still going to grow. So you don't have to worry that right. your hostas aren't going to come back. You can go and cut them. And they will still, they'll still they'll come back for you, and they'll they'll come back. Yeah, you're not going to destroy them for the years. So and you just eat them like raw. a lettuce. Uh, you could eat them raw. I don't love them raw. I like to maybe sear them real quick in a cast iron skillet, and then hit them with some good oil, like maybe a little sesame oil and some toasted sesame seeds, oh. and have them as kind of like a a room temperature salad of like little spring. I am freaking. You are blowing Hanson's out. mind right now. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, there's more, too. The tubers of Dahlia. 
oh. are edible. Uh, in in Italy, and I'll, I'll be talking about these in my book, uh, hyacinth bulbs are known as lampashoni. There's a number of diff- different uh, species that are harvested around the world. They need to be detoxified by boiling, but there's, like on Italian YouTube channels, there's all sorts of little uh, Apulian grandmothers preparing their wild lampashoni bulbs that they pickle with uh, garlic and herbs and kind of have as an antipasti. Oh, my Excellent. word. Oh, my word. Okay. okay. I did see this online, and I thought of you, and I thought uh, the, like, making those flower, like, dandelion buds and turning those into, like, capers by pickling those. Yeah. So I would say my favorite way to make capers, dandelions are probably number three or number four on my list, nasturtiums. Oh, I have. Just planted down, them. The, the seed pods of nasturtiums. If you close your eyes, it, it, you ferment. I ferment them in brine, but you could pickle them too. But if you ferment them, they are the flavor is identical to capers that you buy in the store. To the caper Okay, I just the, planted them. I'm excited. I just planted nasturtiums. Oh yes. my oh, goodness! The best. And the, the you know the whole plant is edible. So I mean, the the flowers are gorgeous in a salad. The leaves I use like little dolmas wrappers when they get big. Oh, that is perfect. Alan, yeah. Okay, so one last fun. thing about nettles. What do people do? How do you do? You just grab the nettles? You have to boil them so they're not stingy, right? Well, so that's the, there's a number of different ways. There's, you, can, you can blanch them, sure, but you, you will lose a little bit of flavor if you blanch the nettles. You can crush them up in your hand. When they're very young, and you could even eat them raw. Uh, oh. It's kind of a parlor trick. I don't, I don't eat many like that often. But you know, they're not going to jump up and bite you. Or my favorite, uh, like I do, like I did in the in the video, is I like to kind of just wilt them in their own juices, and then throw in a big glob of butter at the end and cook it into a little bit of like a creamy emulsion. And our common stinging nettle, which is actually not native. Wood nettle is our native species, which oh. you'll find deep in the woods instead of, like, in a, in a disturbed area. The, st- the common stinging nettle has, like, a, a saline quality, so it's really good with fish. Gosh, that is and awesome. If you, and if you, bl- if you don't blanch them, you'll taste more of that kind of u- very unique flavor. And, I mean, it's one of the most nutritious greens that I know of. Right. And, yeah, I mean, it's, I they, think that's they're a, one it, of the most widely consumed food plants, I mean, around the world, hold a bunch of different types. And I think, yeah, people need to just sort of, they need to wake up to the nettle thing. Because I am, I got to it to the party too late last year, and they were already too far. Like, I really thought about it too late into the spring, summer. And so then I need to think, so like this year I've already been focused on trying to find them and get them and put them. Cause I know that they're growing around my property. I just need to get at them. So, Oh yeah. Well, Hey, even here's a trick I learned from uh, reading Scottish books. So in the summer, I, in the summer when the nettles are tall, yeah, sure. You're not going to eat the big fibrous stalk. You can take nettle tips. Are, you can still get them, and they're basically the, si- the perfect size of a nettle that you'd want. And it's kind of a, a historical poverty food in uh, Ireland and Scotland. So you can harvest, it's called the apical meristem, and it's the most tender growing portion. You just go pick the very top tips of the nettles, even in the summer. Really? You can still eat them. Oh, yeah, just don't pick the fibrous parts. Yeah, because I was trying to make a tea or something, and it just nothing was working out. So <laughs> I wasn't happy, but I am excited. 
All right, Alan, thank you so much for being a good source for us for, you know, inspiration and getting out into the nature and the world. And Forager Chef is who you are on Instagram. And we're going to put a link up to the Wild Harvest episode one. Um, and when do as you're, you're still working on the book? Yep. I'll be turning the manuscript in in October. So we're looking at a, a spring 2021 release and it's called Flora. Oh, it's going to be great. All right. Well, we may have you on again, you know, in a couple of weeks when we get to the next uh, to the next phase of the foraging. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, thanks so much. We'll be right back. Have you been falling into like any uh, Internet holes in the last six weeks of unfettered time? Mine. Unfettered time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that. So, no. <laughs> well, I may have fallen into yeah. a Dua Lipa. Oh, did Internet you? Hole, who was just singing that song coming in. Yeah, she's very pretty, very unique looking, very tall, very talented. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I love know it. either why. I just love all the, I, I, you know, people send me little links of things and everything else that are fun. And, you know, like Molly sent me this. Have you seen the Cameron Diaz on her Instagram? There's like a, there's like, I don't think I can say the word boss B fight challenge or something. Yeah. No. It's, but I mean, like those kind of things, like these little things that people are doing. I mean, I love I love that. Uh, 651-641-1071 is our phone number. If you'd love to call and play the pantry game with us or you have some questions about what you should be making. By the way, friends, I did make the garden focaccia last week. I burned it, but it was good. Yours was cute. Yours yeah. was very nice. It was fun. Yeah. We, I had a good time. I was, we, like I said, we went to the cabin to clear out the garden and... Uh, that oven, uh, my cabin is electric, which is just, wah, wah. I hate electric ovens, really? so I burned it. But it yeah. was really fun to make. It wasn't hard. I had a good time, and Kurt and I ate, it was a big, like, sheet pan. Yeah. We ate three quarters of it in one day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's... And then it, you can freeze it, but you have to reheat it, and it's apparently, like, not the best. Yeah. It's best to eat fresh. Yeah, no, that's focaccia for sure. And if I had to do it again and I was going to use it for like a sandwich or tea tea sandwiches or something, I would have put it in a 13 by 9 pan so that it would have been twice as high. Yeah. And then I could cut it down horizontally and make like sandwiches out of it. Yes. Yeah, that's how I think about focaccia. Yeah, really. but I, also, ours was I mean, more like biscotti size snacking. Yeah, and I don't mind. Like, I know that there's been some good ones, like in skillets, you know, and then you top it. It's almost uh-huh. like a focaccia pizza. Yeah, I, I'm down for that too. Yeah, there's a the New York Times Instagram had some other focaccias that they had, and they showed some of the ones that make me crazy. Like it was so. So piled with stuff that it was like I it, I don't Pizza even know bread. what that is. It looked like <laughs> it looked like it was a tray of antipasti more than it was actual bread. Yeah. So well, fine. Uh, okay. So someone six five one six four one one zero seven one. You must all be outside. Today, I think everyone's outside. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you? you? My um, God. Looking for a restaurant takeout recommendation. I want to give my son and his family with two children ages five and eight a gift card, a special to a special restaurant for them. They live in Roseville, but mom works in St. Paul. Any suggestions? A month ago, I gave them a Moochie's gift card, and they loved it. Thanks, Betty. Um, Right. They live in... Well, I guess I would do... Wait, so take out a gift card for takeout? I guess I would say go with Baldemar, which mm. is in Roseville. Yeah, that's and nice. And that may be a splurge for them. They may think, you know, like, that's kind of a super good treat. Um, and it's, they don't, you know, it's not like it's just steaks there. They do, they have a lot of, they have chicken wings. They have, mm-hmm. you know, fun things. They have great salad. They have a perfect wedge salad. 
Um, so I guess I would say that. That might be kind of fun. Um, or St. Dinette. Yes. Since you did new Moochies, St. Dinette has like burgers and fun stuff like that, too. Um, I was thinking Babani's might be fun. Oh. And that has just opened up for curbside takeout. True. Um, also Red Rabbit St. Paul's back open mm-hmm. curbside takeout. So some pizza and some pasta kits, maybe. Yeah. Or, um, so there you go, yeah. Betty. And we have Christine on the line. Hi, Christine. How you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Great. What can we help you with? I have two things. So, um, number one is I'm, I've decided to try to make sourdough bread like everybody else. Yes. <laughs> and I, couldn't find yeast in the store, so I ordered from Amazon this big brick of um, yeast. Yeah. So, so it's huge. So, what's the? Should I like put most of it in a jar? Yeah. And put it in the freezer, it's, like in a mason jar, and yep. then keep some out, or how does that work? I'm guessing it's a one-pound brick. Because yep. I just gave one of those away on my Instagram page. Um, it's 53 tablespoons. So what I did is put it in the little mason jars and sealed them up, and you can throw those in the freezer, and it will last up to two years. Yeah, it's great. Oh, okay. Does it have to be at room temperature when you use it? Like, do you have to take it out and let it sit out for a while or anything like that? No. Or? Nope. Nope. Okay, I'm, I'm new to yeast, so yeah, I don't know. I was lots, lots of people are. I seriously. have one jar that is kind of in my cupboard that I use. And then I have the other jars in the freezer and I've given some away too. Um, it's actually because it's become sort of a commodity. People are really appreciative of it. And yeah. a 53 table, a yeah, 53 tablespoons of yeast is going to last you. I mean, that's a loaf a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a lot. How long does it last in the cupboard then approximately? A uh, couple months. Yeah. Yeah. It's just okay, so even in your fridge, if you don't put it in your freezer, if you want to just keep it in your fridge, it'll last, you know, like it'll last a long time. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I don't. Yeah, because I don't freeze it. I just keep it in my fridge. Oh, and smart. it just sits in there and it lasts just as long. I made you guys. I did make bread with like two year old yeast and it worked. Yeah. So, oh, you, wow. If okay, it does, that's a good it, idea. if when you activate the yeast with the water and the honey or whatever you're doing, if it gets creamy and kind of a little bubbly. bubbly, that's when you know that the yeast is activating. If you don't get that creaminess and it just kind of stays granular, that means that the yeast it's isn't dead. good anymore and you need to start with fresh. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. So what was the second question? Second question is I want to start um, doing things with lentils. I bought a bunch of lentils and I made lentil soup. And, Yum. and I was going to make lentil gnocchi. I was going to try that this weekend. But I just, any ideas? Have you ever made the gnocchi or any other ideas of what what's different to go with lentils other than just plain old lentil soup? Yeah, I make lentils a lot. But I usually make them in soup or stews or with coconut milk in a curry. Um, Lots of people use them in salads, you know, like cold. cold like you salad. cook them mm-hmm. and then you kind of drain them and you toss them and so that they're cold into your salads. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is there a good way to make it just like as a side dish, just like eating them like you would eat a, a bowl of corn or a bowl of, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so just toss them with like lemon juice, olive oil, salt, pepper, maybe throw in some arugula or spinach because we throw spinach or arugula everything. in everything. Maybe add a little bit of like chopped feta, goat cheese, and you've got like a nice side salad. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like a, I like all those ideas. Well, <laughs> ho- 
hopefully I can do the Noki and Ella workout. I've never tried that. It just sounded interesting. To yeah. Me, so. Good luck with that. Okay. Thank you. You bet. And I'm going to find a pork uh, lentil recipe that I made once that I thought was really good and I'll post it. Okay. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Weekly Dish.